Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bobby Moore and Sir Jeff Hurst The trailer booking and Billy Bones A pound old dick and a West Ham This is more than just a podcast. Podcast! And it's international week at the moment, so uh, there's no game to talk about. Um, But as part of our ongoing special interviews, new presenter, Nigel Khan, caught up with a former West Ham manager, Lou Macari. And this is what they had to say. I'd like to welcome today, for my second interview, Lou Macari, um, the sixth manager to manage West Ham. Followed John Lowell. Uh, quick update on Lou's career. Played for Celtic, Man United, Swindon. You managed Swindon from 84, is that right? That's correct. Um, you've done well with Swindon. You won the Division 4 title with 102 points after two years. Straight away next season, promoted via the playoffs. And then spent two seasons in Division 2. And then West Ham come calling. Yeah, um, before that I'd had an interview with Ken Bates at Chelsea. Um, he wanted me to be the Chelsea manager. Um, right. To be honest with you, I turned it down because he, he wanted to appoint my assistant. Right, so, so, so you wanted to insert a number two? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when West Ham, West Ham let John Lowell go in June 89, it's, it's a tough act to follow. In reality, looking back, um, what was the process? West Ham approached you. You applied for the job. Uh, I applied for the job. Um, obviously, John had been in charge for plenty, plenty of years. Exact number, I'm not too sure, but I knew he 15. was uh, 15 years. And you, you manage any football club for 15 years because you're a because you're a top manager. So you're right. It, it was always going to be a hard act to follow, but. I wasn't uh, I wasn't too concerned about that because I just knew it was a good football club. I, I never I've never had an agent. I never applied for jobs that I didn't really feel that I was suited to or I could do something or I thought I could do something. I always took the view of what have they got to offer? Are they a good club? Have they got a good support with them? Do they stick with them? Do they stick with the manager through thick and thin? And of course, that's another reason why John was there 15 years is because people stuck behind him and. And it was that type of football club. And I just thought, um, 
that's that's the right place for me. Did, did you know any of the other managers that were after the job at the same time? Did you have an inkling? No idea. No, I went for an interview and um, and got the job, and and I wasn't interested who who else had applied, who had been interviewed, or anything. I just knew that that um, it was it was the right thing for me to do at the right time. As you say, I'd been at Swindon and. My time at Swindon, which was my first managerial appointment, was was fantastic. Crowd were were brilliant. Uh, we we did what we did. We went through the divisions because they worked hard for me, and and you've got to have that relationship with players that they're going to work hard for you if you demand that. And they did that, and together we we climbed out of the divisions and and just missed off going to the very top division in, in the playoffs um, in in the very last. Uh, chance we had of getting to the top league but we'd risen from fourth bottom of the old fourth division it was at the time yeah. and we'd gone from fourth bottom of that uh, almost to what is now the Premier League so I just thought right now's the time I can, there's not a lot more I can I can do here and if an opportunity comes along I'm going to take it um, and when West Ham came along I did realise it was a situation like an Alex Ferguson situation at Manchester United but whoever followed after him, it was going to be difficult for him. Um, but I was still willing to take that uh, ch- chance because I didn't want to miss out on, on going to a club like West Ham because I, I really believed it was, in my days as a player, going there, it was brilliant. Um, chicken run, even if you got dogs abuse from them, I loved it. Uh, you know, you gave them a bit back as well. And just the, the atmosphere around the club on the times I'd been there with Manchester United... Um, it was just a ground and a place that I thought, yeah, that's that's the type of place, you know, for me. I mean, the the season before you joined us, you actually played West Ham in the cup. Um, we drew at uh, Swindon's ground and then we beat you one nil. Yeah. I mean, did you get a feeling for the club then, or? Oh, I had a feeling long before uh, the job was even even available because I used to, as a manager, you're looking you're looking at other clubs, you're looking at other managers and comparing them to what you got at your club. And the thing about West Ham that I always took a view on, because when it was a player and went there, was was great atmosphere. And they hadn't done that well over the years, and, and a loyal support. Because if any football club, that, a bit like Newcastle as well, they're another one of those clubs that fall into the category of support, sticking yeah. with the club, even if they don't do very well. And, you know, if you're going into a managerial job, I don't think you can ask for any more than that. Um, that you're going to have a support behind you who want the club and want everyone involved, which is the players and the management, to do well. Uh, I don't think you can ask for, for any more than that. No, no. I mean, when, when you joined West Ham, you, you didn't, know bring any coaching staff with you. You, you. you kept on, basically, John Lyle's team. Was there a reasoning behind that? I kept on John Lyle's team because... I just thought they they know the ins and outs of West Ham. I knew about West Ham as a player, and I knew about going there and the atmosphere and all that. But I didn't know about the football club. And I thought, well, the one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to stick with the people that do know about the club. Uh, let them get on with it, more or less. And uh, every so often, if I've got to jump in and change things around slightly, uh, I'll do that. Because I'd, I'd, I was coming from a club that had built its reputation on... Uh, how can I say it, blood and thunder and aggression and fitness and all those things. Yeah. And I was now going to a club that 
that um, I wouldn't say didn't didn't have the same beliefs. I was going to a club that was 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 all about football, and I thought, well, I'm going there. That's what it's going to be about. I'm not going to change anything. So I decided that I would stick with um, the Ronnie Boyce and and uh, everybody else that was there, Billy Bonds, because these to me were were names that I knew as well. Um, Mick Mick uh, McGibbon. Mick McGibbon, uh, Tony, who yeah. looked after the youth team. So I just knew that uh, they were the people that had done their bit for West Ham. And, and I've got to be honest, there's, there's no way I was going to come in and uh, and chop the legs off them and, and off of real West Ham people who uh, like the support. I had I took a view were were only interested in doing the best for West Ham, regardless of who was the manager. Yeah, yeah. And I found that. I did find that when I went in. I found it strange the first day. I'm, I've got to admit, because I was in my office and training was at 10 o'clock and I come out at 10 o'clock and because I always allowed the coaches wherever I'd been at Swindon to get on with the training and didn't interfere with that and didn't sort of brief them on what I wanted because it was simple. What, you know, what what you want to do with the players, you go and do it. So I opened my door at five past 10 and they're all sitting there. And I said, stop lads. And they said, oh, Normally in the morning we get instructions from John about what, what he wants done and this and that and this and that. And I said, oh, well, no, that's not going to happen with me. I should have told you that. It's just you take them out and it's it's up to you to do whatever you think. And then when I come out, I'll I'll do my little bits and pieces that I want to do. But mainly you're in charge and that's why you're the coach at West Ham United. So, so in a way, you was trying to keep business as usual. Yep. Yeah. Yes, without a doubt. Because obviously there, there's a perception, this is why I wanted to talk to you, because there's a perception that you were sort of an early day at Sam Allardyce, long ball merchant, you said yourself for Swindon, which was yeah. lower league football, blood and thunder, where West yeah. Ham more cultured. But by keeping, this is why I was interested in doing research, you kept the staff. So therefore, those people were all West Ham players as well. They weren't going to be the blood and thunder well Billy Bonds I suppose you could say more blood and thunder but they, their yeah. coaching was about the, the more cultured football the West Ham style football ball yeah, by yeah. Greenwood played by Laurel yeah I've got, I've got to be honest with you that wasn't a criticism when I was there that wasn't that wasn't a criticism it may be a criticism now with people who don't know what happened then yeah. and they yeah. just dream it up and they say this and that well, of course it's a lie and, yeah. and that's why I kept the staff because I made sure I was never ever going to be accused of that, and and I know who I brought in, and I know who was there, and with Stuart Slater there, who was a young kid coming through who did brilliant for me. Yeah. No way, no way was I going to tell him not to get the ball down and beat five or six people because that's what he was all about. Yeah. Um, that's what's happening nowadays, of course. There are coaches and managers telling people not to do that, and as a result, we don't see a great deal of the individualism that has always been in our game. I had Liam Brady. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to tell Liam Brady to do anything but what, what's made Liam Brady a household name all over the world. Uh, Dev, Alan Devonshire was the same. Dev liked to get the ball, liked to do his little bit of magic. I think all that came from just maybe one or two players that, that, that um, had read about Swindon and thought, well... If I'm not in the team or I don't like it here, I'll use that as an excuse. And, of course, we did have one or two, but I've got to say, with the help of another great person, Alvin Martin, 
with, with the help of Alvin, who was a, a gentleman and, a, and an honest player and an honest captain, um, between him, the staff, and myself, we, we helped sort you know, that out. Um, I'd, little Mark Ward, who wanted to go north, he wanted to be up north again, and I thought, right, well, um, I'll see what I can do for you. So I got yeah. my move to Man City, and I took Trevor Morley and Bishop, and I don't think there's anybody who connected with West Ham would say that was anything but a good move. Because, yeah. you know, when when you do things and they come off as a manager, you, you're delighted and, you, and you're happy and pleased that you've done it and you made that decision. Same works the other way. When you make decisions that don't come off, um, you're disappointed. But no, I was, I was always mindful. So if there's anybody out there ever says um, anything but, no, that team continued to play the West Ham way, um, and I didn't change very much. I can't put a heart into people that haven't got a heart. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've yeah. no need to put a heart into a Billy Bonds because when I go to war with Billy, I know I've got a, a man in there who's going to dig in, and a bit like myself, he's not going to be intimidated by anybody. Um, so uh, that's that's the one thing I will argue about. And I've I mean, heard people say it, and I think, oh, you, you weren't there. You're just picking up vibes from 20 years or 30 years on now, whichever it is, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I was a fan on the terraces at the time, so I was only 19. All my life, I'd grown up with John Lowell's manager. So it was a bit of a shock. And yeah. Obviously, I'd seen I was a football lover, so I'd seen what you'd done at Swindon. So I, I can't say I was disappointed with your appointment. I can't say I was, because at Swindon, you'd only had success. So your first I well, game... I was, I was well aware, though, that success at Swindon um, and, and doing what we did, that was at Swindon. It's, you're, now, you're now a big football club yeah. with lots more problems... Lots more people, a lot more people that would, um, you know, and, and my, my first problem was a problem I could, couldn't see coming. Paul Ince. Yeah. I couldn't see that coming. And then when it's all over, I'm thinking, well, that was nothing at all to do with me. It was instigated by his entourage, or whatever you want to call it. And, and, as, a, and as a result, he, you know, a top young player, sorry, what, what I was told was a top young player, is out the door and gone. And, you know, I even fell out with Alex Ferguson over it. I told yeah. him he wasn't, I told him he wasn't getting it, getting him. I said, I don't care, he'll stay here and he'll play here. And of course, if you remember, he did play the first game. Yeah, I was coming to that. You played him the first game. All yeah. the 11 players that day were players that played for John Lowell. You didn't make one signing. No. You started with John Lowell's team, Paul Ince, uh, Stoke one, one draw away. Yeah. You played Paul Ince, didn't get a good reception from the fans, no, did he? No, that was enough. That was enough for me then. Um, the fans had said what uh, what I was thinking anyway. That you know, I I had to see what the reaction would be, and I, I witnessed the reaction. I thought, well, the best thing for Paul is to move on, even though his his party have instigated it all, and I didn't like being sort of beaten by them. Um, I decided that, you know, whatever way Man United wanted to play it, which was he failed the medical and he came back and then there was different uh, conditions in the contract about him playing games. I was never worried about that because I knew he'd play the games. Yeah. I knew because he was young and he was, he was trying to make a career for himself somewhere else now. 
I knew he would play the game, so whatever money, and I forget the exact money it was, but whatever it was that they tried to change, we ended up back at the same amount once he'd played all the games. Two million. Play, imagine, like, two million, yeah, was it? Two million. Which back then was a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back Frankie Mac, you lost Frankie Mac that game as well to the Broncos. Well, I mean, Frank, as, as first games go, 1 1 draw away with Stoke is not a bad start, but you had the Paul Wintz, the fans, took against him. McIverney yeah. lost his leg, uh, broke, had his leg broken by Chris Kamara as well. So Yeah. Well, I did, I did say to Frank in the build-up to that game, because we'd done, done pre-season training, and I've uh, got to be honest, Frank wasn't the best of trainers. Used to moan and groan more than any brain, but you got on with it. And you got on with it because Frank was one of the all-time, I think, one of the all-time goal scorers that West Ham have had. Yeah. You know, Frank was a prolific goal scorer. It, I just wish I could have got my hands on him years earlier to, to educate him, but you need to be fit. The running around London and doing whatever you're doing, you're not going to be fit. Not doing your training, you're not going to be fit. And I did warn them before he went into the Stoke game. I said, your fitness levels are crap, but I've got to play you anyway. Um, what has happened first game, I'm, I'm wheeling him into Stoke World Infirmary. And I said yeah. to him, told you, Frank, didn't I? I told you. You can't play this game unless you've got a good level of fitness. And But Frank was a... Frank was an okay fella, you know, he was Jack the Lad and all that, but in terms of a person, he was a good person, but just a little bit misguided. If not, had he not been misguided in his football career, I think I might have been talking about Frank McAvenny as one of the all-time greats. Because what he could do without a great deal of fitness was, was quite incredible. Now, I, I used to think what he could do if he had the fitness that a professional footballer should have would be would be marvellous but obviously yeah. then, he moved, then he went to Celtic and same happened there he got injured at Celtic and, and I then went to Celtic as manager a couple of years later and of course first person I bumped into is Frank and he, then he got injured and he said to me you're a bloody jinx <laughs> so, <laughs> I said Frank it's not anything to do with me being a jinx pal it's to do with you not training properly but good yeah. lad you know, a good, a good, uh, a good lad, just a little bit. So he could have been brilliant. I mean, perhaps that. Well, perhaps that's what made him special. I mean, I remember when he first joined West Ham, he went to Scotland, Australia, scored a goal in the in the World Cup playoffs yep. in Australia. Flies home that day, walks onto the pitch against QPR and scores for West Ham. Yeah. <laughs> well, that tells you all about the modern day players needing rest and all that. Yeah. It's rubbish, isn't it? It's rubbish. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean that. You know, he was he was given the chance to even not yeah. play against QPR. Just flown halfway around yeah. the world. He went, no, John Lowe, I'll play. Bang, goal. Yeah, there was there I was mean, two or three other things that that, that were well, obviously weren't suitable. But there's nothing I could do about it. I couldn't do it then about Parksy not being able to train every day, yeah. um, because his legs had whatever problem there was. He had to just sit on a bike every day. Now I don't care who you are. You can't sit on a bike and then go and do your very best on a football pitch. So that was a worry to me. Um, you didn't fancy Alan McKnight then? Uh, Alan McKnight was signed by Lowell the season we went down. He had a bad season. Yeah, I remember Alan having a bad season. It's not that I didn't fancy him. I, I just wanted Phil Parks out there. Yeah, no yeah. disrespect to Alan. You know, Phil Parks or Alan McKnight... I want Phil Parts because he's he's been a top goalkeeper. He still is a top goalkeeper, 
unfortunately, he's restricted in his movement, you know, with with, um, with the, the injury that he's got. Um, Stuart Robson was yes. another one I knew I was badly missing. I'd never trained. Leroy Rosinha, another one I knew without a doubt would, was, would do something for me. Um, and, you know, they were all... They were all good characters as well. And the success of any football club is based around good characters there. So I knew that was a massive loss um, to me, but we had to get on with it and get on with it we did. And, I mean, but, you didn't make signings straight away, but I mean, the signings you brought in, your first signing, um, was it Martin Allen? Martin Allen, yeah. I think Martin made a good impact with, with the Hammer supporters because, you know, they knew he was... Uh, a bit mad and all that, and yes. um, Mad Dog wasn't he? He was Mad, mad dog, dog to support. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very early on, got that christening. Yeah. yeah, and that was—I thought that was a little bit of a plus for us because, you know, we didn't have many Mad Dogs in our team. So to have uh, to have at least one is always a bit of a help to to have someone in that midfield roaming around and. Yeah, I mean, you had the culture tackle. of Liam Brady yeah. next to him with Martin Allen. That that is a, a good combination. Um, I mean, it reminded me not that they're similar players. If you go back to Brooking and Bonds when yeah. they were in the midfield, it's that same. You know, Bonds did all the dirty work. Brooking yeah. brought the culture. The same now. <laughs> so I, yeah, I was I was um, quite happy with my dog, and then um, I think after that came Morley. Yeah, you signed Colin Foster as well to. Um, to play centre off. Yeah, we had no cover in there. Uh, also, the thing we come into the team, Stuart, um, um, oh God, you're going to have to uh, remind me now, uh, quite an aggressive lad as well. We've been in the reserves. Um, oh, name just escapes me. A centre half, he was there at the club. Gary Strodder. Gary Strodder. That is it, Strodder. Gary, yeah. Um, Gary was aggressive. Gary, you know, was a bit uh, not in the mould of a West Ham player, but I no. didn't see him wrong with that because he was aggressive, he was wholehearted. And I go back to it again and say he was a good lad in the dressing, good character. Hmm. Um, the other signings, Jimmy Quinn. Jimmy Quinn, I knew Jimmy from Swindon. Um, with Frank being Frank and couldn't rely on his on his fitness, obviously. Um, had to have a bit of cover up there. Leroy, never knew if Leroy was even going to make a comeback. There was talk at one time that he, he wouldn't be able to, he'd be finished. And I think the same was said about uh, Stuart Slater. And I don't, uh, not Stuart Slater, Stuart Robson. And I don't yeah. think, uh, I don't think, they played that often in my time that was there. I remember Stuart Robson, I think he came back in a game against Derby. Yeah, in the cup away. In the cup, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't believe the contribution he made because he, he hadn't had any games. And I just thought, you've been out for so long, you'll be rusty, you'll be... But he was energetic and he had a, an unbelievable engine to get about the pitch. And I thought, well, yeah, we have been missing somebody here. Um, the fact that he hadn't been playing every week. So I remember that that was his comeback uh, against uh, Derby County. 
And Leroy the same. I don't think Leroy reached double figures for me in terms of games. I might be wrong, but there wasn't that many. Well, believe it or not, Leroy that season only actually played four games. Yeah, I thought so. Or six, we include in the League Cup. That's it. Four in the league. Yeah. And they they obviously get into habits at football clubs and they'd, they'd obviously become accustomed to turning up every morning and walking in the treatment room and, and lying on the bed and you know I was doing my best to try anything to get them off that bed because that's the first start get you, them off you, the bed you, you gave the young players a go though I mean I, I mean the, the one when you look back at your time the one big victory the Sunderland 5-0 you had Omen Dolan Stuart Slater Kevin Keane um, all playing um, yeah. I mean, Dolan, I, Dolan, Dolan got two that night. Slater got got a great goal as well. We, yeah. we literally tore Sunderland apart that, that yeah. night. Yeah, we battered them. Um, and Kevin Keane, um, as a better, as, as a professional, I couldn't have hoped to have stumbled across a better professional. Um, Kevin was lovely fella. Went and did his training. I wouldn't say you had two camps, those of the, the sort of good guys and the bad guys, because you didn't. You, most of them were good guys, but it was just one or two that mixing among, especially the younger ones, just would um, could possibly derail them a little bit. So do, 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 do you think it was the older players that were more resistant? To, to, no. I, I, I mean, I, I, I go to a lot of the old shows, and, and the reason why I wanted to speak to you was I've heard a lot of stories from the old players. But then when I've I've listened to Stuart Slater and and other players that were younger at the time, and they only speak highly of you. So it, it was almost as if the older players for me were a bit more resistant. I know Alvin Martin was a bit different. He, he He's not really... Um, he, he quite enjoyed his time under you, but um, without naming names, some of the older players enjoy telling stories. Yeah, how uh, difficult they seem to make it for you, which in a way comes across un- a bit unprofessional to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the ones you're talking about, and I don't, I, I don't want to mention them. Yeah. Um, um, how difficult they wanted to me. I'll tell you who else was brilliant, no matter what anybody says, was Julian. Yeah, were you making Julian, captain? Julian was, Julian was great. Julian was uh, mouthy, and he was this and that, but above all. The biggest thing, he was a, a good footballer. He was a he was a bloody good footballer, and that surprised me because I thought of Julian Dix before I went to West Ham as being this aggressive left back who would kick his granny. But mm. he would kick his granny, but he could also play, and he could get the ball down, and he could knock it around, stick balls into the front people, go and get them back, smash them from twenty five yards. Julian Dix should have been one of England's greatest players, but. Uh, you'll need to refresh my memory now. He he, he turned he, he turned an England did he turn an England opportunity mm. down? No, there was, I think there was a story that um, when Glenn Oddle was manager that uh, John Gorman said to him about you know you need to get sort your hair out. Um, Julian was had a skinhead then, and Gorman yeah. made a comment about Julian's hair. And I think Julian then thought, well, you know, if that's what it is, I thought I was a footballer. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, that would be Julian, yeah. yeah. That, that reminds me now, yeah, he sort of messed it all up for himself. And I, I remember saying, Julian, you should just have grabbed the opportunity and shown them what you showed me 
that you're, you're an exceptionally good footballer. Never mind this thug mentality, because he was the first, the first day I went into the job, um, Terry Venables rang me up and said, I want Julian Dix. Now, where was, well, Venables was at Tottenham then? Venables was at Tottenham. So that was the first little guy to me who didn't know a great deal about Julian, that uh, how good a player he was. Terry Venables wants him. Well, that's, you know, it's not a bad yeah. start. So I, t- yeah. I said, Terry's not for sale at any price. I said, he's staying here. And in fairness, I didn't have any problems after that. Terry accepted what I said. Julian, who would probably have known anyway, um, accepted and got on and played for West Ham. But that was the first sort of uh, clue I got from another manager. And it always pays if you've got a respect for that manager and that he's been around and that he's a bit of a shrewd operator. Take notice of what he says. And he wanted Julian Dix. So yeah. I thought, no. And then after uh, after maybe four or five games, I realised why he wanted Julian Dix, because he was a bloody good player. So you, so you did well, realistically, if you think we'd been relegated to keep hold of a lot of the players that perhaps could have moved on. There was a few people that were perhaps looking after relegation to move on. I think only Alan Dickens, um, he may have gone before you turned up, joined Chelsea. I think that was the only player that did actually leave. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, well, you know, you get relegated. You get relegated, not because of John Lyle, because the team hasn't performed. All right, people may have blamed John Lyle at the time. I don't know what it was like, but I'm sure he did come under... Um, a lot of criticism and as a result the fans did turn on him um, at the end you know um, yeah there was a section of fans I wouldn't say all fans it was probably a split 50-50 there were people I remember once walking out I lived around the corner from the ground so I remember standing there and there was a load of kids standing by the gate going Lyle out Lyle out yeah Yeah. you know so I'm not going to that that happens in football though that's football because 
you just mentioned to me, you know, people, you've spoken to people now who talk about how we change our style. It's a lie. We didn't change anything. Yeah. <laughs> and anybody like yourself who was following West Ham uh, at the time, you couldn't actually say, oh, everything was changed. That's why. Well, the team got relegated the season before by doing it whatever way they were doing it. So obviously that wasn't going to work. Yes. So I don't, I, but that criticism always follows. It follows, it follows people around. It follows managers around, and and probably most of the time, um, you know, it's it, there's no substance to it except people just dream these things up and decide that everything was to blame. Sometimes, except the, the people who went out on the pitch, who who are the main players and everything. It's all about your players, and when, when you get the success, your players have done it. It's nothing to do with a a managerial genius in the background, plotting and planning systems and formations. It's all about them that you send out there every week. And I, I just felt that the lads who had been going out every week um, were a little bit misguided. That's all I would say, just a bit misguided about what's required um, in, in, in the game of football. Um, no, uh, you no need to tell people like Billy Bonds and, and you know, people like, Bobby Moore, who was England captain and a, and a great West Ham player, what it, what it was all about. Trevor Brook, and they know, they're experienced players, they've done it. Yeah. Um, but you can have a bunch of players that have done very little, but still want to believe that they know. And, you know, when you're in management, you, 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 you tend to just accept that and know what's going on, everyone's talking in the dressing room. But no, I... I, um, I uh, I, I put a lot of faith and, and everything in that backroom staff that I had and none of them let me down. I mean, do, do you think that um, when you look back at your signings, Bishop, Morley, Quinn, McCloscoe all turned up um, around the December, January time. You left in the middle of February. So do you think that you you didn't get to see the best of them? That you brought no. them into the team and then to to, to, to improve it. You had a good start because we were top after four games, but we had fallen away by after Christmas. But then you brought in Bishop Morley Quinn, as I said. Your best signing for me was Ludo. You never Without saw him a doubt. Play. Without I mean, a doubt. What, I mean, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Ludo? Because I think it was a protected... Um, transfer though didn't, he couldn't get a work permit if I remember is that right couldn't get a work, couldn't get a work permit and we're talking about uh, at the time we're talking about um, we're not talking about Czech Republic we're talking about Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia. We? Yeah. yeah we're yeah. talking about Czechoslovakia so he couldn't get the work permit uh, he trained with us a couple of days and you know I, I was always mindful uh, as I told you at the beginning of the interview I was always mindful of Parksy um, not being able to contribute the way he would like to and the way I would have liked him because you can't you can't sit on a bicycle and then just go on the, the pitch so he could, he could have broken down at any time badly so I had to find somebody um, got recommended Ludo he came to us as soon as I saw him uh, obviously standing next to myself I thought fucking hell that'll do me this is a monster <laughs> yeah he is a so <laughs> Yeah, this is a monster I mean he's a monster compared to me but I thought no and then when we trained and, and fucking hell he's he left everyone for dead I mean and he's a goalkeeper he's no need to have you know such a high level of fitness but 
everything he did, he, he couldn't do enough of it. He wanted to do more. And I decided I'm signing this fella no matter what happens and no matter how long we've got to wait to get him. And we couldn't get the work permit. And, of course, he was earning, I don't know what he was earning over there, but it, was, it would be very, very, uh, a small amount of money. And the move to West Ham would probably, even though it's, we're going back to the time we're going back, would probably secure his future in yeah. terms of where he, where he come from and the money yeah. that's involved. Um, so I, um, I, was in the, I think I was in the PFA offices in Manchester with him trying to get it all pushed through. Um, and then eventually, the, the, um, uh, it wouldn't be email at the time. Um, Facts. Yeah. Facts message come through that he, he's, um, his permit had been granted. And he lifted me up in the air and fucking threw me up in the air. And he was a happy, uh, he was the happiest man in the world. He, uh, he was a free, actually he said it, he was a free man. Yeah. Well, check the fact he was still, was it still communist back then? Or yeah. It had fallen, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so he came to West Ham and, and of course, he, he never looked back. He, he was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. I mean, if you'd got him earlier, do you think you'd have played him away at Oldham? Oh. In the League Cup. I'm glad you mentioned that because <laughs> away at Oldham in the League Cup was the one place I didn't want Phil Parks to have to play. Because the plastic pitch. Plastic pitch. Yeah. Now, I remember going to America with with Man United and and um, picking up a slight injury, um, and I went on the plastic surface because we don't forget back then we didn't have many plastic surfaces, and yeah. when I went to America I hadn't seen the various plastic surfaces there were, but for some reason when I went out training the next day on the plastic surface I couldn't train, I couldn't my legs wouldn't go on this surface because whatever injury I had the plastic was making it was making it almost, uh, well, that I couldn't train. So it was too hard. It was just too hard, yeah. And yeah. So I thought, nightmare this will be for us at uh, Oldham. Um, yeah, he'd, he'd have been straight in, he'd have been straight in the team. Uh, and anybody, not just Phil, but anybody that couldn't play for me or couldn't train regular, which is nearly every day of the week, uh, I, I wouldn't consider, yeah. I wouldn't consider on a Saturday except except when I thought there's a reasonably good level of fitness. And the only person that did apply to in the time I was there was Stuart Robson, who I'd watched training during the week, and I threw him in at Derby. League Cup, I think it was. Yeah, it was, yeah League Cup was the Derby. It was nil-nil, and then we um, we beat them uh, yeah. in the replay. Uh, it was a midweek game. It was, so yeah. I do remember. I actually got stuck on the M1 and never made the game. Uh, All right. <laughs> I've never forgotten that nil nil draw because me and my mate we got as far as rubber folk services. It was like on seven o'clock and we, and we just pulled in and listened to the game on the radio yeah. on the way back home. Um, now that Oldham six nil was the last game you saw West Ham play. It yeah. was also I don't know if you know Phil Parks's and Alan Devonshire's last ever games for West Ham. They never played for West Ham again. Oh, I didn't um, realise that. Yeah, so Swindon away was the next game. Um, Ludo's first game, you never got to see it. It then breaks, I think, the Monday or the Tuesday after the game that you've resigned for the reasons that are out there, people know. Yeah. Any any regrets on the, on the oh, resign? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, because 
I just felt it was a bit embarrassed from the football club and, um, you know, no matter what anybody says about any of the directors and, and the people who run the club, they were all nice people. And I mean, the family were nice and one or two other people hang, you know, attached to the board were, were okay. And, and really supportive as well. So, got to be honest, maybe if they'd been, a, you know, if they'd have been the opposite and, were trying to force me out. I, I probably, I probably dug my heels in and said, "No, I'm not going anywhere." But there was no problem. That that the Swindon situation didn't. So, didn't so yeah. So, so why did you feel the need to resign? Because it was nothing to do with your time at West Ham. It was all to do with what had gone on at Swindon. Yeah, because that's I, well, the one I knew, thing I've never understood. Why? Why? Well, I had a journalist following me about every day. That was one thing. The second thing was. I knew it wasn't going to go away quickly, but I didn't know when it was all going to come to an end uh, because I'd never been in, the, in that position before where you go to magistrates' courts four or five times before you go to a, a court itself. I didn't, re- I, didn't have, I didn't have really any view of, of how long it was going to take. And even my, my legal people were saying, well, this could be a year, it could be two years. For the time, and, and they said you might not go to court at all. So I just thought a year or two years, blooming hell, it's it's, it's a long it's a long time to have something hanging over your head. And and because of the football club itself, you know, any manager doesn't tough enough getting West Ham up and running again with nothing uh, sort of in the back of your mind, rather than thinking about a court case that may be coming up and what could be the outcome. And, and then I couldn't figure out why they were pursuing it because uh, I couldn't just figure out at the time um, my are involvement you, in it. Are you, are you, now, you'd already been fined by the FA. That had already taken place? The, the, um, the, the Swindon that, chairman, it was all to do with a bet, but the Swindon chairman got banned. You, you, you got a fine. That had already been taken place? Or did that come yeah, after? No, no, that was, that was all I set up. Oh, that man. was all I set up to keep the paper story going. Right. And, and there was a the FA councillor on the board at Swindon who hated the chairman. Right. And they wanted him out. So yeah. he was the man that made it happen at the FA. Um, I've got to say that the hearing and all that itself, um, looking back now, was illegal. You, you would never have been allowed to have a hearing like they had with no witnesses. You weren't, just, you're no witnesses. It's just a joke. It wasn't meant to. It wasn't meant to. From the FA point of view, it wasn't meant to create any sort of big, big sort of deal. It was just um, a rubber stamp. Your guilt, bang. You're guilty. There's your fine. Go away. Uh, no, not really. No, it was just to. It was just to get the chairman out the door. At Swindon, right. organised by a Swindon director. And you so, caught in the crossfire. I was caught in the, certainly caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Um, and of course, the fact that I was in, the fact that I was caught in the crossfire of that, and the, the thing with the revenue, it was pointed out to me after that by my legal team, um, because the whole thing with you involved in it was a lot better for them, publicity-wise, than if you're not involved in it. Yeah, because obviously you was the bigger name. Yes. I, mean, I yeah. didn't want to be that big, bigger name. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to. So I, I realised I was going to be used um, by the revenue and, and by uh, newspapers because, let's be honest, uh, my chairman, 
who was a good guy, nice fella as well, Brian Hillier. I probably had to remind you. No, you don't know his name. I can tell. Yeah. You know, that's there. Um, it, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have made. Well, it wouldn't have made any news, would it? No. And I, I realised that. You see, after I went to Winchester Crown Court, I realised that without me in the frame, there's not even a trial, and that yeah. it's been done because my my sisters had told me that. It, They'd found out from the revenue it had been done to teach the rest of the football clubs. Right. Which which I thought at the time, I thought that well that's it's appalling. But that's that's what happens. Well that's what happens. You managed West Ham for forty games. You won fifteen, drew twelve, lost thirteen. So it's it's by far not the worst record. By far not the worst record. No, no. I'm if I go and manage somewhere, I'm well aware of how well or how poorly I've done. Uh, but unfortunately, you get people who weren't around at the time just just make things up. It's, yeah, <laughs> I'm well used to that. Yeah, <laughs> because somebody wrote a book. I remember somebody wrote a book, and there was something in it. And I got a hold of his telephone number, and I rang him up. I said, and I forget what the thing was. It really was not a great deal, but I just got the hump one day and thought I'll ring him up find out where he gets the crap from I think it was something to do with Frank um, um, and I rang him up I said what's that in the fucking book and he said oh well that's the rumour going around <laughs> I said fucking hell <laughs> fucking rumour going around but as we know now that's that's part of football isn't it it's, that's why football's built on rumours yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that these windows open and close, yeah. it's, it's yeah. got worse. Yeah. Fucking hell, the people that I see are signing for X, Y, and Z that I know are not signing for them. But, you know, and I just I, I chuckle and I laugh, but I think at the same time, it's a bit sad that you know, people have been misled and thinking that player X or player Y is joining the football club, and, and of course he's not. I mean, are you pleased to be out of it now, the management game? You do the media for Man United still? You still MUTV or...? Uh, yes, I, I do that and I do the hospitality and I, yeah. I go with the television when we go abroad and end the season tour. Well, the, the management's changed. It's changed dramatically. Um, there are very few managers around because no one's allowed to manage, are they? They report no. to somebody else, they support to somebody else. Um, and and that's, that's the way it is. I couldn't have that. You know, I'd like to be go to a football club and at the end of my time there, think to myself, well, what did I do here? Did I do any good for them or was I crap? And and I don't want people, you know, middle people that I can point a finger at because that's that's what happens. Uh, yeah, I mean, you say that. It's hard. For me, your legacy is not so much the football, but the signings. If you look at McCloskey, Bishop, Morley, these were players that played for the next five, six, seven years. I think Bishop yeah. played nine years. So yeah. you, you I met Trevor leave. Morley at Stoke yeah. two weeks ago when United played. He works for Swedish television. Yeah. And um, he came over and gave me a bit of a handshake and a hug and, and said, oh, thanks for, thanks for your time at West Ham. He said, I loved it. He said, thanks for taking me there. And I said, no, Thank you for doing so well. Then I remembered that I'd hardly seen him play. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. It was, it, Bishop and Morley turned up in the December. So you literally had about seven, eight games with them and then they were yeah. gone. 
Oh, yeah. sorry, you was gone. So yeah. <laughs> that was it. Um, all right, let's move on. I've got some short questions to finish with. One Go thing on, people may not know is that you actually grew up in East London for a while. I did. Wittlestone. Yeah. 12 uh, years I was there. Did you ever go over West Ham and watch him play? Oh, I was Orion. I was Oz. <laughs> oh, Orion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they weren't, oh, well, they weren't too bad. That would have been in the no, season, wasn't it? So. They were all right back then. So what was the team you supported as a boy growing up? Oh, I was I was a Celtic supporter. I was... Yeah. I used yeah. to travel to the games on the supporters bus. Watched them. This is at a time when when they were no good. They couldn't, you know, never won anything. And then along came a man, Jock Steen, uh, um, and it, you know his management was was quite simple. Um, it was it was quite simple. Organised and train hard, work hard, play hard. If you don't fuck off out the door, <laughs> that's the way it was back then. Yeah. So I mean, who was your footballing hero? If you was in the playground. You wanted to be. What was the player? Oh, the, the player. Not that I wanted to be, but the player that I liked, and and, and obviously, I think most most people liked uh, people like Bobby Charlton and, and George Best. I'm not just saying that because they're Manchester United players, but yeah. Bobby Charlton going back to a World Cup in '66. You know, you're looking at him and 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 people like Alan Ball who were unbelievable players. I mean, just. Alan Ball uh, just he just wound, he just wound himself up and went out on that pitch and kept running and kept running and kept running. But all the players, I mean, I, I, I could name a dozen. Unlike nowadays, I could name a dozen that that, that I admired and thought I'd like to do it. Uh, what he's done, what he's done, and I'd yeah. like to do it one day. And of course, when you're a kid, it's just a it's just a dream, isn't it? Yes, it is. But then, but then quickly for when I joined Celtic. Um, uh, I'm cleaning the boots of the Lisbon Lions, and then yeah. um, I'm in the reserve team. And before I know it, um, I get a game in the first team when I'm not even expecting it. And my first big game in the first team was a Scottish Cup final, 128,000 people at Hampden Park, and and thankfully because of the manager and the players I was surrounded with, um, I, I took that in my stride really, and you know. Scored a goal and we won the well, you, cup. You you came through with Kenny Dalglish, is that right? I came through with Kenny, and, yeah, and Danny McGrain from yeah, um, all them. In, in the youth team, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, if people think that footballers are born footballers, then it's that's not true because you know I was I remember my first venture to England was to play in a schoolboy match at Southampton at the old Dell yeah. against England and. Um, in the England team was Mickey Shannon, Brian Kidd, Mick Mills, you know, people like that who were, even as schoolboys, were big schoolboys. Well, yeah. I was, you know, I was a dwarf. I went there and, <laughs> no, I went there and I could hardly kick the ball because the pitch was, as the Dell was normally, it was muddy. Um, and these big lads, anybody watching me that day would have laughed at me and said, he's useless, that kid. Um but I had a manager who, when I came back, and I used to train two nights a week at Celtic Park before I actually joined, he asked me how I went in the game, and I said, well, no, I was I was poor, uh, Mr. Steen. And I remember him saying to me, well, we, we'll do something about it, we'll help you. So my two nights a week at Celtic Park, we're on the track, up the terraces, 
um, everything was physical, and the same with with Kenny. Kenny, believe it or not, uh, was a poor goal scorer. Plenty of chances, didn't take them. And again, advice from the manager: bag of balls, go out on to Celtic Park and smash them in the back of the net, pick them out the back of the net yourself, line them up again, do it time and time again, and things will change for you. And of yeah. course, they did change. Kenny came down to England as. One well, of the best I don't know if you know, um, Kenny actually had a trial with West Ham, I think, at 15. Right. And West Ham did want to sign him. Ron Green was the manager. But it, 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 they, they, he decided no, and he went back home. Um, right. One that got away, as I'd like one to say. One that got away, <laughs> yeah, certainly uh, did. So who was the best player you played with in your career? Um, when I first went to Old Trafford, George was there. Um, actually, my, my first game was West Ham. Yes. Uh, um, which, if you go on my Twitter, I've got a picture of me scoring the equal um, the equaliser in the last minute. That 1972, I think. I'm, yeah. 73, yeah. I think it may have been. 73, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, and I was playing against Bobby Moore, and and, and I remember in the dressing thinking, what the hell? I'm playing against Bobby Moore here, England captain. And but anyway, I got I got the goal and. That's why I put it on my Twitter because it's my first first game for Manchester United. But when I arrived at Old Trafford and trained with George Best, I'd, I'd read about him and heard about him and seen him obviously and knew how how good a player he was. But when I trained with him, it was just it was just ridiculous because he he tried to try to lunge in and push him off the ball or kick him or do whatever. You could kick George and it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, he would bounce off you and uh, he's the best. You know, he, he's he, he's uh, as a West Ham fan, my all-time hero is George Best, and I, I, I'm blessed that my mum took me to see him play for Fulham when I was right. seven years old. Um, I was West Ham mad and George Best mad. Yeah, well, if you if you te- if you tell anybody that the, your best, you know, the player you like best was George Best, and then you show them his career, yeah, people will laugh at you because how it ever happened that George ended up at Fulham in America where he was. Yeah, he's a Barney somewhere. Barney. Um, Barney, you know, all those things that happened to George, um, you Hibs. scratch your head and think, how did it happen? He went to Hibs. I, I remember yeah, when I was Hibs. about 10. He went to yeah. Hibs. He was yeah. going anywhere that would give him <laughs> yeah. a game. Yeah. Yeah. So he went from, uh, you know, he, he went from the, the biggest name in the game to the places you just talked about, which is criminal, isn't it? I, for me, I like to think it's because he loved foot, playing football. Oh, he loved playing. That's what I'd love to think. And, and, and biggest thing about George, he's a nice fella. Yeah. And that was probably his undoing, the fact that there'd be a lot of people hanging about with him. He shouldn't have been hanging about with him. He should have got on with it himself and, and listened more to Sir Mark Busby and, and, and the managers that followed at Manchester United. Yeah. All right, to finish up, you've scored some great goals. You've scored, in my opinion, the luckiest goal to win a cup <laughs> final. <laughs> off your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, green off shot, off your shoulder yeah. to beat Liverpool. What is the best goal that you've ever scored? Um, the best goal I ever scored was uh, in a 6-2 win away at Everton. Um, I think it was... New Year's Day or Boxing Day. I think it was Boxing Day. Um, 
forget the year, but you'll be able to find it. Yep. And it was an overhead kick from, well, the overhead kick, I started telling people it was from 18 yards, which it was. But now I'm telling people it was from an overhead kick from 30 yards because there's no footage of it. There's no TV cameras there. So no one could ever call me a fucking liar. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was 18 yards. But when I speak to people now, like yourself, I try to convince you to show that 35 yards from that uh, near the halfway line overhead kick, which you've never seen since. But no, it was an overhead kick in the 18-yard line, um, sailed into the top corner, and I'd say on that day, we won 6-2. All right. All right. Well... And there's no footage, so don't come back to me and say it was a crap. I was going to go and look it up. (laughs) (laughs) If you can find the footage, I'll pay you for it. Uh, I I can't get it anywhere. what I can do. (laughs) All right, Lou. Well, I'd like to thank you for for joining us on more than just a podcast for the Lou Macari special. Um, we really appreciate it. Cheers, Luke. Thank you very, very much. much. Cheers. Have Bye. a good day. See you later. Bye-bye. Hello. There you go. That was uh, West Ham, former West Ham manager Lou Macari speaking to Nigel Khan in one of our one-off specials. Um, Lou Macari spoke there about a particular goal, his favourite goal that he scored. If you have a clip of that, please do let us know at more than just a podcast. Or if you've got any comments or feedback on this interview, please go to uh, facebook.com slash more than just podcast. That's all from us this week. Uh, we'll be back as normal after the international break. Bobby Moore, more than just a podcast. Bobby Moore. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.